Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to James and Gary on the Best Kiss Show on the web. So turn it up. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Hey, Kiss Army. This is Gary Schaller. And uh, I am James Hager. And you're listening to your podcast. Uh, thanks for hanging in with us. Um, you know, we uh, it's been a while since the last one. We had two, and so far people have really enjoyed what we've got. Um, it's taken a little while to get this one together. A lot of things have been going on behind the scenes that have um, been really exciting, and also just a couple of hurdles. Um, for example, James, tell them why your voice sounds kind of funny tonight. I um, have developed a, a severe viral bronchitis um, that was originally feared to be pneumonia. I'm, you know, I'm just glad that's not the case. But uh, over the last week or so, my voice has just constantly deteriorated. Um, we were actually set to record this very podcast about a week ago, and uh, my voice was actually somewhat better than it is tonight. But uh, you win some, you lose some. Uh, we have to uh, carry on, and we have to uh, to record the show. It's been long enough. Here's a little one. This one. This one says we need doctors. We need doctors. We need Dr. Love.
Okay, hope you enjoyed that. That was a recording of uh, Calling Dr. Love, live in Rio, 1983, with Vinnie Vincent on lead guitar. I think that was the second to last show they played in makeup before Lick It Up came out. And uh, you can see a bit of that on the Kiss Extreme Close-Up video. Gosh, I hope oh, I got that right. They, yeah, they show a clip of it on Extreme Close-Up from the, the solo right. till somewhere, you know, in the course afterwards. Right, right, right. Great. I think it's a great performance. I, you know, um, Vinny had his ups and downs, but that solo that he pulls for Calling Dr. Love is so cool. Yeah. Oh, big fan of that one. It's not the original solo, right. but it, it was killer nonetheless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I, I'll say this also. A lot of people might disagree, but my favorite studio version, I guess, or studio mix of Calling Dr. Love is actually the one that's on Double Platinum. I really like the way that starts. I, I the way that, you know, the voice that. comes in. Yeah, yeah, I really dig that one. I guess maybe we'll play that another time. Uh, we got a lot of stuff uh, in the show uh, tonight. And, you know, of course, not all of it's happy because we lost Mark St. John this week. And uh, we will be talking about that. Um, we also have, I guess it's going to be kind of an animalized-themed show uh, somewhat because we also have uh, our exclusive podcast interview with Bruce Kulick. Uh, the interview with Bruce Kulick was conducted by our good friend Corey Nallen, um, who is the proprietor of uh, FNShirts.com, which I'll get to a little bit later. But um, at, he went to the Myrtle Beach Expo and caught up with Bruce Kulick, who uh, was gracious enough to uh, answer some of your questions that you sent in. And uh, it's it's a really great interview. He touches on some things such as uh, Eric Carr's relationship with Gene and Paul during the Hot in the Shade tour. So it uh, it should be a very very good interview. Um, and we'll have that for you a little bit later on. Right. And thanks to everybody who sent in questions. We did read them, and um, you know, Bruce was kind enough to take the time. It's a quick interview, but he had a lot to say, so I think you'll enjoy it. And of course, we didn't get to he didn't get to all of your questions, but. Um, hopefully some of you will be really happy to hear that he uh, answered your question or um, you know, touched on some of the things that you were curious about. So before we get into some of the news of the past week or so, why don't we take a trip down to Abner's laboratory. Oh, Abner Devereaux, sure. Well, this Abner Devereaux, where can I find him? His workshop's located underneath the Sky Tower. How about it, gang? You mean underground? Yeah, way underground. I'll just activate the elevator mechanism. You step inside. Welcome to Abner's Laboratory. Tonight, we uh, are going to feature some recordings from the uh, Animalize studio sessions. What we have here are... Um, Paul Stanley working on his uh, his material for the album, along with Mark St. John on lead guitar. What we're going to play for you are some just tidbits of Mark absolutely wailing. So, here to commemorate the passing and celebrate the life of Mark St. John are the Animalized recording sessions.
Excellent. Hope you all enjoyed that. That was some uh, behind-the-scenes recordings from the Animalize sessions. Uh, and uh, everyone knows, I think, by now that um, you know, Kiss did not go into a room, all four of them at the same time, and knock out those songs live together as a one big happy family. Um, you know, the recording of that album was sort of an interesting affair that uh, Mark has spoken about in interviews, where you know he was sort of running back and forth between uh, one studio where Gene was uh, doing his songs and the other one where Paul was working on his material, and um, they weren't. Uh, I guess they were. I guess they were difficult times for Kiss in some respects. Um, there was a lot of pressure to have a hit. There was a lot of pressure to make an album that sounded cohesive, even though um, you know Gene was uh, off doing movies some of the time, and you know Paul had a lot of the focus and tried to keep things together, um, or so the story goes. Uh, what wound up happening though was that they made probably my favorite of the albums from the the non makeup years. I don't know if uh, how do you what do you think of Animalize overall, James? Uh, honestly, I don't think much of it at all. Actually, it's probably my least favorite of the um, the non-makeup studio albums. Now, that's not to say that Mark's work isn't really good. I just I've never cared for the material on the album. Um, Heaven's on Fire is is decent, but uh, other than uh, Heaven's on Fire, that album really does nothing for me. Unfortunately, even I've had enough. It, I mean, it's it's okay, you know, but when it comes to animalize, I have truly, I've had enough. Oh no! Oh, 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 oh. You did not. Oh. All right. Anyway, oh boy. Um, yeah, I, I dig that album. You know, I I guess I don't think there's certain records, Kiss and otherwise, that I, I will probably never be able to um, to evaluate objectively. Um, because they're just too dear to my heart and the associations are too strong. Um, I think Animalize might be one of those albums where I, you know, I distinctly remember waiting for it to come out, you know, hearing about it you know, on the news, and then going and getting it fresh on vinyl, taking it home, and, and really rocking out and enjoying it. And you know something else? Uh, it's funny. Looking back, I guess, they looked kind of goofy in the 80s, Animalize, Asylum. Those weren't maybe the best years visually for Kiss. But to be honest, at the time, I just thought that that's what they were doing, and I didn't really question it, I guess. It looked all right. It didn't really look that different from most other bands then, right? Well, not yeah. not too terribly much, no. So, mm. uh, so I, yeah, I don't much care for Animalize, but then again, you know, I like Bang Bang You, Read My Body, and Psycho Circus is my favorite album, so what do I know? Hey, it's, uh, there's a lot of great music there from KISS for us to enjoy, and uh, we don't all have to like the same stuff. There you go. And um, to that end, why don't we take a little trip back in time and listen to some of the music that influenced KISS when they were uh, coming together as a band, hooked on rock and roll. Nothing begins and ends with us. The Beatles, Chuck Berry, Little Richard. Only just another chapter in this ever-growing book. Get hip. I mean, be a real music fan. In our last program, we heard a song from the past, one which inspired Paul at a young age and had an impact on his early Kiss material. In this installment of Hooked on Rock and Roll, we'll take another trip back to Paul's formative years when the sounds of British psychedelia first hit U.S. airwaves. 
Throughout the mid to late 1960s, Birmingham, England gave us Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, and a band called The Move. The Move were led by guitarist-vocalist Roy Wood, who was also their principal songwriter. The band would remain active until 1972, when members Roy Wood and Jeff Lynne transformed the group into Electric Light Orchestra. Wood then left ELO to form Wizard, who opened for KISS in the mid-1970s. There are some other noteworthy connections between The Move and KISS. For starters, The Move were known for their over-the-top stage stunts, which included using an axe to destroy TV sets and Cadillacs. Additionally, when Roy Wood became the frontman for the glam rock band Wizard in the early 1970s, he wore theatrical face makeup similar to that of Gene Simmons and Ace Frehley. And speaking of Ace, that was the nickname that Move keyboardist Chris Kefford went by throughout his career. In 1968, the Move released a single called Fire Brigade, which Paul heard on the radio. Being too poor to afford British imported records, he basically stole the idea by his own admission and came up with Firehouse. So here, without interruption, is the Move with Fire Brigade. happened in the KISS world in the last week or so, and uh, we thought we'd take a little time to just uh, sit and talk about it a little bit. One of those things being, of course, the passing of uh, former guitar player Mark St. John, who uh, passed away of a cerebral hemorrhage at age 51. There's been a lot of speculation due to Gene and Paul's uh, reaction, or lack thereof. What do you think about that, Gary? Gene said something uh, years ago about the internet that 
um, or maybe it was Paul, I think it might have been Paul, saying that, that the problem with the internet is that there's no hook to pull someone off stage when they've, you know, gone too far. And I'm, you know, I guess I'm as guilty of that as anybody. We, we really get carried away with what we think are facts based on, you know, sort of like rumors or what we've read or heard or, or you know, stuff we catch online. A, a lot of the controversy, quote-unquote, um, on the message boards was around various band members and how they did or did not respond to it, as, as James was saying. Um, we had, I think, the day of his passing, there was something posted on KISS Online. Now, as I understand it, um, the, the, what goes on that website is okayed by Gene and Paul and, and usually actually comes through them. Um, I believe that uh, Keith, who runs KISS Online, got the statement from Gene and Paul, put it up on the website, and voila, there it was. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, they did their job, they did their, they said their bit. Um, some people think otherwise, right? Well, uh, I'm one of those people that think otherwise. You know, since day one, we've always been told that KISS is family. That it's, you know, no matter what, what purpose you serve to the band, or who you are, or how, you know, disassociated with the band you become, you're still a part of the KISS family. Um, Mark St. John was a part of that family. Um, you know, I have family members. You know, everybody has family. And, you know, say I pass away tomorrow, I'm in a band. You know, let's say I quit the band right now, and they carry on with another drummer. I would hope that in 25 years that the bass player might have something to say about my passing. You know, I just, I don't think it was necessarily needed on Gene and Paul's part. I don't think it was a requirement. I don't think that, you know, they are bad people for not personally acknowledging Mark St. John's death. I just think that it would have been better had they done so. I think that, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's maybe part of a trend that we've been seeing a lot recently, which is, uh, um, you know, which goes beyond just Mark's passing. It's that um, in spite of how many KISS-related products Gene advertises on his website, um, you know, he and Paul really, I think, when they do their own thing, they do their own thing. You know, Paul's website's about Paul. Gene's website is about Gene. You know, he's got his millions of projects going on. Paul's got his album and tour. Um, and his art and, and various appearances. And sometimes I feel like they make an effort to distance themselves from KISS, which, you know, some fans, I think they like that. They don't want Gene to, you know, to mention his magazines and KISS in the same sentence. Um, other fans may feel that, um, you know, those guys need to remember where they came from. I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, my feeling also is that, uh, you know, Mark was more than vocal or more than uh, Mark was pretty frank about his feelings toward Gene and Paul in interviews after Kiss uh, after his tenure in the band and you know he didn't always have the nicest things to say um, but I think that you know for someone who was in a band for only six months and then you know after he left said a lot of harsh things maybe they didn't feel like they were that tight maybe they felt like they didn't need to say a lot of stuff about him, but it has left a bitter taste in fans' mouths, or some fans' mouths, and I understand that. 
And you know, some fans have pointed out that, uh, sadly, with the passing of Mark St. John, now when we watch the Heavens on Fire video, we're seeing two guys who are no longer with us. And Bruce actually has a very touching song that he wrote about the passing of Eric Carr. The song is um, from the Union album, The Blue Room. Um, it's called Dear Friend. It features um, Bruce on lead vocal. And uh, it's just really a great tune and, you know, a good tribute to Eric Carr. And with the passing of Mark St. John, it just feels appropriate maybe, you know, to, um, to play this for you guys. So uh, without further ado, from Union, this is Dear Friend.
Awesome. Very cool. The other big piece of news going on right now is uh, the second season of Gene Simmons' Family Jewels. So far, we've seen uh, Gene try to sneak a cell phone into surgery, losing his costume, doing the whole TRL thing, and now um, going through the facelift operation. Uh, Gary, what do you think about all this? I think I'm never going to get a facelift unless I absolutely need it for medical reasons. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, that show is a marvelous deterrent for people who were considering cosmetic surgery. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's sort of that, it's, well, it's fuel for the fires that burn against Gene Simmons on the part of certain fans who who feel embarrassed by what he does. Um, you know, we've talked about the show before. Some of it is silly and just kind of downright kitschy. Um, I'm sure that some people who are KISS fans feel let down by it. Others really seem to enjoy it. I like the show. It, I find it entertaining. The way I look at the show is this. Do I watch the show when I... I'm not busy. Yes, I do watch the show. Why do I watch the show? Because it's Gene Simmons. Now, make no mistake, if this was any other knucklehead off the street, this show would be on probably my top ten list of worst shows of all time. Wow. But I mean, really? it's it's so con- it's contrived. It's it, it's too it's too cutesy for me. I mean, it really it's it's just too it's it's it would be boring. If I didn't have some kind of, you know, personal obsession with with the person involved, you raise a good point. I think that um, I, I I I've listened to Kiss records before, where I've honestly said to myself, I don't know if I'd like this if it wasn't a Kiss record. Exactly. You know, um, or you know, read the comic book, the Psycho Circus comic. I don't know if I would be as invested in that comic book had it not been. Uh, you know, a Kiss comic book because I generally, I mean, I gen- I am a comic book fan and I don't generally like the darker kind of McFarlane stuff, but because it was Kiss, I was, you know, I, I was pretty interested. I read all the issues. So I guess we make exceptions for bands that we're interested in or celebrities who have captured our imagination. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not, a, I don't, I don't hate it. It's a, it's an entertaining show and I really enjoyed the DVD set that I bought and, um, so go buy it. I didn't get one out of principle. <laughs> you didn't get one out of principle. Oh, you're They told me $5 oh. and I wanted <laughs> it for $5. For more information on the A&E $5 Gene Simmons Family Jewels fiasco of 2007, uh please refer to podcast number 2 available at your local uh net slash podcast website. And to commemorate the start of Season 2 of Gene Simmons' Family Jewels, we have an exclusive demo that was included in the box set for Season 1. This is uh, Rain Keeps Falling. It's something that Gene recorded with members of Silent Rage around 1991. So don't just take it from us. Go out and buy the box set. Uh, You'll hear this great song.
Another KISS news, Paul's solo tour uh, began in Australia, and um, just for the Aussie fans, he played I Was Made For Loving You, and his usual solo acoustic version of Shandy. Man, I'll tell you, James, I really, I would love it, It'd make me more than happy, I uh, wish they would play something from Unmasked when they came to the States. Absolutely, you know what, I absolutely 100% agree with you. As long as it's not She's So European. Oh, come on. That's, uh, that song is brilliant. It's so underrated. Brilliant? How can you say that? Uh, it's, it's quite easy. Uh, you know, uh, I, c- I could go for hearing Shandy. Shandy would be excellent. Um, I, I take anything from that record. That's, that, that record holds such a special place in my heart. What can I tell you? To me, uh, Ace's material on that record, um, Talk To Me, and Two Sides of the Coin are also two you know, excellent songs. Love them. That I wish they would have utilized more during the um, reunion years. Oh, totally. Yeah, you and me both. Oh! 
And speaking of that song, this is our Talk To Me segment in which we feature an interview with a member of KISS, past or present. And uh, of course, we've got our exclusive Bruce Kulick interview, which was conducted by our good friend Corey Nowlin during the expo down in Myrtle Beach. And uh, Bruce was kind enough to spend some time, answer some of your questions that you sent in. Again, a big thank you to everybody for sending in questions. Um, and here, without further ado, is our exclusive Bruce Kulick interview. Take it away, Corey and Bruce. What would you say was your favorite KISS tour and why? Well, there was highlights throughout the uh, you know, years, but I guess in some ways that the uh, Hot in the Shade tour, even though that w that's not my favorite record, but it was a great package with Winger and Slaughter and we kind of really mixed up the set more. It was the last one with Eric Carr. Um, so I have a lot of fond memories of that one. Yeah. Speaking of Winger and Slaughter, tons of opening acts. Um, and then at the same time, at the end of tour, lots of end-of-tour pranks. Like, uh, I think I read Bon Jovi dropped ping-pong balls on the stage. Who are your favorite opening acts and best end-of-tour prank? Well, I guess the Bon Jovi one was a big one uh, with the tour <laughs> prank. But, uh, you know... I mean, I got along really well. I, I, that tour I really liked. Uh, you know, Winger and Slaughter, they were at the top of their game, too. And, and Kip Winger was dating, you know, Rachel Hunter, so that, that, that was nice. So, um, you know, everybody usually, you know, really treats the headline act with a lot of respect, so that's not a problem. Uh, but I just think that that was the longest you got to develop a little bit of a relationship. And, and, you know, you don't always travel together, so it's not like I got to really. But I remember, you know, one time actually going with Kip Winger to a strip bar in Montreal and, and it's, it's not that, that I'm not saying that that's painful but it's not my favorite place to always go but the point is going with him and the girls were just amazing and they were all over us because you know he was Mr. Kip Winger you know so <laughs> it was it, so it was fun nice but do you still have any of the outfits or the uh, instruments you used uh, during the 80s like maybe that nuclear suit that you have uh -huh. or the BK very, very few of the stuff I mean it was when Kiss did the big auction and everything, um, you know, about a year after that, I realized, you know, uh, I don't need this stuff to look at. And I can't fit in it, and it looks kind of kind of strange in my closet. Whatever I did have, a lot of the really outrageous stuff always was in the Kiss warehouse anyway. So, but um, I still have some of the guitars, and I still have a few articles of clothing and jewelry, and and lots of uh, press things and you know promotional items, you know. But I got rid of quite a, you know, I had this uh, kind of strange sounding. Uh, Bruce out of the closet, comes out of the closet thing, you know, which was, was just supposed to be just like, get, the, you know, if you want something from my, I don't have a warehouse of kid stuff, I just had a closet full of uh, some items that I just definitely didn't need anymore, so that's where that came from, and uh, the guitars, actually, there's a hard rock, uh, I did quite a few deals with some of the Kiss guitars, uh, with the hard rocks, actually, in this, which is nice, because they really display it nicely, you know. Well, you mentioned the warehouse, the KISS warehouse, and everyone's, you know, the fortress and whatnot. Is there really, like, a warehouse the size of an, you know, airport hangar, airplane hangar? What is it? There's some, there was something, certainly, that, that stored a lot of the stuff that they auctioned back in the, that, uh, I guess that was about five years ago, so. But I don't know. You, you know, never I visited? Um, yes, there was, uh, there was one facility in L.A. that I went to where we used to hold the gear, you know, and I guess you can consider that warehouse uh, I think they've had a few through the years one on the East Coast as well you know I'm not sure how organized they are about it but part of that big Butterfield auction sale was was to get rid of it you know just yeah. get rid of it and make my, a lot of money <laughs> and that happened yeah they did <laughs> 
Um, are you still working on uh, dishonorable discharge? Is there any information about uh, that? Yeah, the book, the book's really still just on hold. And, and I know you still gave it a, a title, which is fine, but it, I don't know what the title would be when, whenever I get around to it. I mean, the story keeps getting told, so that's why it's like, you know, I, uh, I really prefer working with more musical products, like, like you know, uh, the ESP uh, DVD, CD, my next solo record, BK3, you know, things like that. So that's why um, it's not a high priority, you know, right now, but um, uh, I'm hoping at one point I'll, I'll recognize it's a good time to get done. And the, the guy that I'm working with, he's very very busy in his career because he's actually in the industry uh, or the label and he's just full time full tilt so it's very hard cool now you did mention BK3 I've got a question or actually a couple from Donovan from Belgium Belgium yeah he wants to know with the BK3 CD coming out are you going to tour behind it because someone else also wanted to know you tour a lot you know in Australia Europe but rarely in the States Uh, would you tour in the States it, it's hard. I probably would more likely do performances in the States along with a KISS Expo. Because um, to be quite honest, there's more of a demand that I can make it happen by going to, to Sweden, Australia, and, uh, and Japan, and things like that, and, and possibly do a band thing, okay? In America, it's just really, it just it doesn't make sense. It would cost so much money, I couldn't couldn't afford to do it. Um, uh, cost someone else too much money. <laughs> I don't want to lose money there anymore. But at these expo things, that, that would be the way to do that. So, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I definitely plan on trying to get out there once that's ready. But for right now, I've been focusing a little more on the, uh, when it comes to the live gigs, like uh, me and Eric playing together, because it's cool to do that. Yeah. You guys take them off? Yeah, we, okay. Um, yeah, go over there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, come back at 12.30, but call me first and say, like, okay, I think it's a good time. Now. All right. right? Okay. Yeah, we'll so give me a call after 12, let me know how it's all done. All right. All right, thanks, guys. You let us know when you want to Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just do like another 10 minutes. I'm sure you got 400 questions. <laughs> well, uh, what are some of the favorite guitar solos that you have written, or, say, a couple guitar solos that really influ- influenced you and how you play? Well, I mean, some of my favorite stuff is like the Tears of Falling solo, Forever, Things in Unholy, you know, or, or Things for Revenge. But, um, you know, I was always very influenced by... You know Jeff Beck and Jimi Hendrix and, and Eric Clapton and all the British guitarists, and there was always riffs that popped in my head that I, I never f- can forget. You know, so um, I've just absor- absorbed all those things through the years. You know, Eddie Van Halen. So you just uh, kind of make it your own. You know, so hopefully I've done that with, the, with these uh, Kiss songs when I needed to. What do you think of the Van Halen reunion? Well, I'm a friend of Michael Anthony, so I think that's kind of crazy, and uh, Silly. I don't get it. You know, I think I think uh, it's kind of strange. He sang backup. I mean, he's the the high part on all mm-hmm. those songs. It's yeah, it's it's sad. And, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's really going to function or something. Something will explode. Yeah. Now, when you auditioned for Kiss, did they make you? Did they say play these five songs with us, or did you just come in, you know, go crazy, and they said that's our guy, or how did it all come about? Well, the the, the real time when I um, <clears throat> actually got to be in the band kind of was more of the eighty. I did a session for uh, Animalize, you know, and, and Paul knew that I was uh, um, Bob's brother. My brother, of course, Bob, was, uh, you know, very, very close to those guys. And uh, he just kind of cryptically said, Paul, don't cut your hair, you know, it was around shoulder length then, because I, I wasn't aware that Mark was sick and there could be a problem and all that.
that. So I didn't have to audition in that class, you know, typical way that I've had time now. Uh, were you ever involved in the work Kiss did with uh, Vinnie Vincent, either on maybe Creatures of the Night sessions or the Revenge sessions? Creatures, no, I wasn't around then, though I was kind of aware that they were working, you know. But Revenge, um, you know, he, he obviously was able to convince Gene and Paul to, like, want to write some songs, and, you know, Vinnie's a good songwriter, so. One time I saw him up at Gene's quickly, and um, one time he, I think he might have popped by to say hi to them to the studio, but then I didn't hear much because he pissed them off, and, and then that was the end of that again. So, you know, Vinny's a, you know, a, a, a very eclectic person, so who knows what was going on. Yeah. Now, it's common knowledge, Alive 1 was reworked in the studio quite a bit. Alive 2, with Alive 3, you know, you guys were... You guys were on top of it. The music was never better. Was there a lot of work done in the studio on Alive 3, honestly? Not a lot, but we did have to do a few things, you know. Um, I just, uh, I know that some of the stuff wasn't recorded. I mean, Eddie Kramer is, of course, famous for, you know, Kiss and the Hendrix things, you know, but um, the, the live thing, there was a few things that weren't recorded, right? So we did have to fix a few things, but uh, I wasn't around for Alive 1 and 2 to know how much surgery there was, you know. So, um but I, 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 my guess would be there would have been less on a live three than the other two. Uh, Patrick from the detention hall message board wants to know if you could tell the story about uh, when you did that solo and then you went over and picked up Gene's axe bass and mm. kept soloing. Could you tell us that story? Right. Well, what happened was, you know, my solo was pretty much, as much as it seemed really improvised, it did have an ending, you know, and then when I got to the ending, <clears throat> and, and Gene and Paul were nowhere to be found, kind of maybe in the wings or whatever. Uh, I, I kind of kind of freaked out, and I thought it was a bad joke, you know. And then the next thing I know, um, when they finally came out, I was kind of out of steam. It's like I didn't want to play anymore, you know. So I just was kind of angry. I didn't know what to do, so I just grabbed Gene's bass, and it was, it was just kind of like this crazy, oh, yeah, I'll take your bass, you know what I mean? It was kind of crazy, but I'm glad. Someone sent me a picture of me holding the bass. It looked pretty funny, you know. And, and um, I guess since it, it was something out of the norm for, for my personality, for them, they liked it, you know what I mean? They thought it was interesting, so, you know, no harm done, but it was pretty crazy. All right, this is a uh, three-part question. Um, Kiss from, we'll say, Asylum all the way through to Psycho Circus. It seemed like every album changed pretty drastically in sound. You know, Crazy Nights was pretty polished. Hits was, you know, kind of rough. Revenge was raw. What do you think about the musical direction of KISS all the way through, even including Carnival of Souls. And then the last part of this question is, Carnival of Souls sessions, were they recorded video-wise? And if so, do you ever see that coming out? Uh, I don't remember us ever filming much for uh, Carnival of Souls at all. I really don't think there's anything uh, that I that I remember seeing someone with a camera, you know. Tommy Thayer might have something, because he, he was hanging around a bit then. But... Um, but regarding the albums and the evolution of the sound, I mean, that's, you, you know, it's it, it's common, I think, for a band over a long span of time that each album is very different. And uh, I'll use this analogy loosely because I'm just because I'm such a Beatle fan. Um, but, you know, you see the way the Beatles also, you know, I'm not trying to compare it to the Beatles. I'm just saying here that, that, that that's the best band of all time. And uh, you'll love a, a primitive early al album or a very complicated studio record of theirs, you know. And with because uh, it depended on who they worked with, uh, just just what kind of commitment they wanted to make to what it should be uh, sonically and everything. So um, 
that's why each record for, for many bands, especially over a long span of time, changes. There's other groups that are more consistent because they seem to have their formula and they awesome. know how what works. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, even Who records, mo mo you know, pretty much sounded, even though the, they might experiment with different things. Uh, Rolling Stones changed through the years, too, a bit. But then they, once they got that Stone sound, that's what most of the records sound like. But Kiss definitely had a different, depending on the producer also. That was the other important point. Um, just had a couple of Eric uh, Carr questions. The Hot in the Shade tour, um, Eric was not talking Gene and Paul at the beginning. Uh, when did he kind of start, and did the tension ease uh, at all through the tour after they started talking? And do you have a favorite Eric Carr memory? Well, Eric was just, you know, very, very uh, uh, funny guy. He was very uh, strange. Breakfast would might be a Hershey's candy bar, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know, it's shock your system a little, maybe. But, um, but yeah, Eric had, you know, it was interesting how he used to, uh, in some ways, uh, you know, just fight these battles in his mind, and then, and then, you know, uh, working with people like Gene and Paul, you know, th there's a way to do it right, and, and to make it the best you can, and there's a way to, when you want to fight it, you know, it kind of seems like a, a, a lot of energy going the wrong way, you know, but that was always his personality, you know, if he felt like, uh, uh, you know, uncomfortable about something, he would sometimes, uh, you know, be, 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 uh, all right, I'm not talking to you. You know, you know what I mean? It's kind of kind of uh, strange, of course, but it did ease up. I mean, I think they finally had a, a talk. Paul was, like, really clear with him, like, you know, come on, it's just, this is ridiculous because, you know, you know how many other people would want to be in the band, you know I mean? If you can't make this something that you enjoy, you know, then, then, then uh, you know, wake up already, you know, let's, come on, you know. Because um, truly, you know, you're not going to instantly change, the, the, you know, the people who create a band because of your, your needs, you know. Um, so, one, you know, uh, I, I used to be able to, you know, just play the game, so he was upset with me sometimes, too, because what I mean by the game is we all have times in our um, jobs and our other parts of our lives where we have to, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, try to um, be, uh, uh, I don't want to, you know, I'm not putting down Eric by saying immature, but you know what I'm saying, you know, you just have to bite bite the nail, kind of, and just deal with it. Okay, this is the way it's going to be, and this is what you got to do, you know. You can't, uh, you can't fight that, so um, you can't fight the airlines, you can't fight the government, you know. That's and your bosses, sometimes you can't fight, really. You have to just, like, deal with it, so. So, but once, once uh, they talked, uh, things got a little better then. Yeah. Well, Mike Shoup from St. James, Minnesota, he uh, wants you to come to Minnesota, first of all. <laughs> but uh, also, uh, he wants to know, while you were in KISS, did you have the freedom to freelance, uh, you know, work with other artists such as, you know, Eric Singer does it quite a bit now, and he's still a member of KISS. Yeah. You know, wh how was it when you were in KISS? Well, you know, back then I did have a, you know, contract with the band, and I was paid if I worked or I didn't work. And to be honest, <clears throat> you know, it was it was it was a big job. And there were, when there were times that I didn't have anything to do, I wasn't trying to look. Meaning, for the band, I didn't have any responsibilities. I wasn't trying to look for other work. You know, um, uh, I wasn't. It wasn't like I could. You know, I just I didn't really actively look for anything. You know, um, like Eric's situation now is is not that busy. Yeah. And and it's not that um, you know. You can't just sit around and wait for the phone to ring, you know. So he's busy doing what he, you know. The same thing for me. I, I, I'm with Grand Funk, but I want to be able to do it all if I can, you know, because that's our careers, you know, is to get out there and, 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 and get people to hear you and, and be known. So, uh, but it was fine. I didn't mind that back then. Uh, I'm certainly different now, 
but for different reasons, you know. Thank you very much. All right, uh, thanks again, Bruce, and uh, also thank you to Corey Allen, who uh, supplied that interview for us. Uh, none of the rest of the podcast staff can make the Myrtle Beach Expo, and Corey was uh, nice enough to um, to go to that expo and then retrieve the interview for us. Um, also, I would like to um, give Corey a little shout-out for his um, his KISS project he's working on. It's uh, called FNShirts.com. Um, that's www.effnshirts.com, um, in which he takes popular logos, you know, such as the Goodwill logo, and changes it to Goodbye, you know, in reference to Paul Stanley's solo album. So, um, you know, give that a look. They're really unique shirts, um, something a little different for the Kiss Army. It's a great website. Very cool stuff, yeah. Absolutely. And he's always taking fan submissions, and there's a deal there, you know. If you send a uh, design and they make the shirt, you get one for free. So just just check it out and uh, show some love for Corey. Absolutely. Uh, and thanks again, uh, both of you, Corey, Bruce. Awesome. Very cool. You know, we have a lot of great ideas that we want to cram into every show, and unfortunately... Uh, with time limitations and everything we don't get to do everything that we want to do every time but that's okay because that just means that we'll have more stuff next time for you to enjoy so um absolutely you know we always go out uh, closing the show with um escape from the island from the elder and actually i wanted to do something different this time around because there's this great version of escape from the island it's it's this weird cover tune a cover version by uh, a scandinavian band I believe they're called Lindgren Five Steps. That's L-I-N-D-G-R-E-N Five, the number five steps. And uh, it, I take this from a 1999 release um, called Kiss in Conversation. It's a three-CD set that has interviews on discs one and two, and then a bonus disc of called Kiss Covered in Scandinavia of um, covers by Scandinavian bands. And before we wrap up, I guess we should give some thank yous um, and also plug our website and our email address. Um, the website, again, is uh, hosted by our buddy Tony. The podcast is located at www.mykisslife.net slash podcast, P-O-D-I-S-S-T. You can also find us on iTunes and Podcast Alley. You can email us at podcast at gmail.com. Or really, I mean, you can private message us on just about any message board uh, that's KISS-related because we're there. Also, too, I would like to give a small plug for um, the other KISS podcast run by our friend uh, Kevin Warhoft. Uh, we'll put the link to that in our show notes and make sure to check him out. Absolutely. So without further ado, here is Escape from the Island performed by Lindgren Five Steps, a Scandinavian band. And uh, as you hear this, uh, try to imagine what must have been going through their minds when they assembled this really cool big band version of, of a song that's uh, essentially like a metal instrumental. We'd like to say our usual thank yous to the folks at Kiss FAQ, uh, Sagafu.com, uh, MyKissLife.net, 
the Kiss Army HQ. Uh, Kiss Online. Uh, our new friends at Kissery. Kiss Asylum. Of course, the Kiss Collecting Corner. Also, KissCollector.com. And of course, Gene Simmons. Paul Stanley. Ace Fraley. Peter Chris. Vinny Vincent. Bruce Kulik. Eric Singer. Tommy Thayer. And the memory of the late great Eric Carr. And the late great Mark St. John. Rest in peace, guys, and thank you so much. You are Kiss. And we are your army. Take care, folks. And uh, James, you are a trooper. Thanks for uh, joining me tonight, even though you're sick. And we hope everybody enjoyed it. Keep writing to us and keep tuning in. We're going to have a lot of stuff for you. Take it easy, folks. See you next time. Goodbye. It's only for now.